I didn't realize that everything in the world revolves around salespeople, everything. There's nothing that happens, nothing that you have that somebody didn't get involved in the sales part of the business. And every little business I did was really selling to people. And selling to people was really being able to make a human connection, a great human connection. You know, all you see on social media when it comes to success, supercars and private jets, very materialistic success is what you see. What is success? And so so many times it's do the grind and do the hustle. But at what point am I sacrificing something in my life? To try to please God, we're so afraid about doing the wrong thing that we do nothing. Business to me is like playing a game. You play it with your friends. Um, if you're good at it, you just you you learn how to play the game better, and it's more fun if you play it better. Well, I can tell you this: success achieved without humility is going to be short-lived. I had something that I felt like I could be passionate about for a lifetime, not just as long as I could physically demonstrate the work, and that changed everything for me. Welcome everybody to the Pay It Forward podcast. I am one of your hosts, Austin Seward. I'm Mr. Keegan Walls. And today, we have the pleasure of having Dave Twite with us, um, who Keegan and I have known for quite some time now. And um, Dave is the owner and president of McDonald Owen Lumber, um, which is a seven times Inc. magazine has recognized McDonald and Owen as one of the fastest growing privately held companies in America. Dave is a lecturer and board member for the Torchbearer Bible Schools in U.S. and Germany. He is a life and business coach, passionate about helping men thrive in their life and leadership, was a professional magician, which hopefully we'll see some of today. I hope so. Um, and has helped create and launch the Praise Radio Network. So thank you so much for being here today, Dave. We I are am really excited. I'm so delighted because I'm, I've, uh, I've kind of followed you guys and your exploits a little bit. So it's fun to, fun to be here and, and, uh, and hang out with you today. And hopefully we can share something that's vitally important to people. Awesome. Love it. Well, why don't you uh, go back in time a little bit? And share with us where Dave Twite started. Yeah, a little bit through yeah. that journey and where you are now. Right, I, I I was really kind of a strange kid growing up. I was the kid in um, probably at six or seven years old. I had a comic book, and in that comic book, in the back, they had a little uh, ad that said um, had a little boy holding money, and he said, "I made this money selling grit newspaper." And if I signed up on this little ad, I could sell grit newspaper too. And so excitedly, I was able to uh, fill this out with maybe even my mom's help. I sent it to grit newspaper. And um, lo and behold, they sent me 50 grit newspapers. Um, and I sold them to my families and friends for a dollar each. And I made $50. And this was a beautiful thing because they sent me another pack I sold for uh, $1 a piece. Because when you're six or seven years old, Nobody says no to you, right? Sure, you go to the neighbor. You know. It's like the little kid comes to that little tub of popcorn and says, it's 30 bucks. No. And I'm thinking, am I buying the company or just that little tub of popcorn? <laughs> and But you buy it because you just have pity on, on the cute little kid next door. So I did that, and I thought this was beautiful until I finally discovered um, from Grit Newspaper that I was supposed to send them some of the money. So prior, I didn't 
end up doing that. So um, it was very profitable. I'm going to tell you, the profit margin was <laughs> tremendous. Zero cost of sale. <laughs> but, but it was always those kind of things. And I sold um, um, seeds from National Seed Company. When I was in high school, I would get um, clothes and shoes from a company called Stuart McGuire. I was selling my teacher's jewelry and clothes. Um, I One time I saw in the newspaper that the casinos in Las Vegas, Caesars Palace, was sending their extra playing cards. Um, they'll send them to uh, overseas, to, to uh, the, the, the military overseas, and to fundraising groups. And I thought, I'd like to raise some funds. So I remember the guy's name. It was Ron Amos. I don't even know why I remember his name, but I wrote a letter on my parents' typewriter. I said, Mr. Amos, I'm looking to raise money, and could we possibly get some of your playing cards? Here comes a box of 100 decks of Caesars Palace playing cards. Had a little notch out of the side so you couldn't use them in the casinos. And what I found is people bought those for a dollar piece. And remember, my net cost was zero, and I didn't have to send any money back. And so this was always super intriguing to me. In fact, I kind of was always curious, why don't more people figure this out? Because it's like finding money in the street. It was like this beautiful little game. Um, so I've always been um, curious about building little businesses. I always would set up little businesses as a kid. And um, it, it, was, it was literally business to me is like playing a game. It, you play it with your friends. Um, if you're good at it, you just you you learn how to play the game better, and it's more fun if you play it better. Uh, there was a way to keep score. That was the profitability way to keep score. There were rules, right? You got to yep. play with fly between the lines. So I think I was always just um, wondering. There was like this world of opportunity out there, and and what other things could I do? So it just always kept me um, looking for extra jobs. It wouldn't be unusual for me to have two or three jobs at the same time. Because um, uh, when everybody else, I had a theory. I had a theory in high school that, um, that I'm going to graduate early and I'm going to kill myself for five years. If you pound it for five years, then it's easier. And everybody else was being distracted by all the other things in life. And even my senior year, or my junior year, I went to my, um, the senior class who had the popcorn. And remember, they would always do the stuff for the, for the concession stands. And I said, at the end of the year, you have a 50-pound bag of popcorn. Are you going to use that 50-pound bag of popcorn? They said, nope, we're graduating. We're done. I said, could I have it? Yeah, not a problem. Went to the um, school and said, is there any possibility I could use your popcorn poppers at any time? I get a key. I've got a key for that. And I started, um, before the Apple Fest in La Crescent, I would go pop like, all this popcorn and put it in boxes with ropes around them, hire people, and we would sell our popcorn cheaper than the people that actually probably paid for a license to sell popcorn. <laughs> yeah. And again, my net cost was how much? Zero. 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 And I would come away with four or $500. I'd do nothing. i get people that would call me and say, did you have a license to do that? And it's always better to ask for forgiveness and permission. For sure. So my best answer was, was I supposed to get one? <laughs> um, so, you know, that was a long time ago. The statute of limitations is far gone. Um, I would also do, um, I got involved with the auto visual department, AV. And so I had access to all the um, speakers and loudspeakers. And, and then I was stu station manager of KLAC, our student radio station. And I had access to all that time was records and all that kind of uh, stuff for the music. And I thought, I was on student council, and we always were afraid that what if we don't get enough money to pay Z93 or whoever it is that does our, our dances? I said, I'll do it, but I'll guarantee them a percentage. So I'll cut you a percentage you can't lose. And everybody took me on. Um, the now mayor of La Crescent, Mike Pellinger, said, I'd sure like to be able to sit up front and do that if I could. And I said, do you want to? He goes, yep. 
So he did all the records. I literally come in on a Friday and get hundreds of dollars and I would do absolutely nothing, hmm. nothing. But to me, what was the entrepreneurship? Find a need, fill it, make it fun, um, solve somebody else's problem and do it again next week. And so that was that's what really led me to, to business. And I started doing other jobs. I, my first job was McDonald's, which I'm grateful for. I, um, I, I worked for the McDonald's here in La Crosse. And what McDonald's taught me is how to work. They had a little uh, line that they would say when you come to work at McDonald's. If you have time to lean, you have time to clean. So you never stood still. Um, I was 15 when I started. My dad would have to drop me off. But at 16, they're already asking, would you like to become an assistant manager? Which is really smart for McDonald's. Get them young before you know what... Right. Anything else is out there, right? Uh, so, but I'm grateful um, for um, the uh, lacrosse McDonald's people to this day. Um, I, I worked at McDonald's, then I worked at uh, Dayton's selling clothes. Um, in clothes selling, I had kind of a theory. I, 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 I always found that I could, s my sales numbers were always bigger than everybody else's. Um, I could tell when people are going to buy. And I also found that there are ways to um, get more people to buy. One of my theories were, if you've ever been to a, a, a store, um, the thing I don't like is when the person jumps on top of you and says, can I help you, right? Mm, yep. So I did something I called the flyby. Flyby is I'd go, hey, how you doing? I'd walk by you. So now I'm safe. Now you already met me. Mm -hmm. So when I come by again, now we're, we're kind of like friends. And then I'm going to start saying, have you seen this stuff over here? It's, it's, it's on sale. I, in fact, I'm going to buy some of that. So we'd, we'd make a connection. And... Um, for some reason, that's worked out from a retail side. It worked out really good. So I knew I could, I knew I could sell. Um, I went to my high school counselor, and everybody came out of the counselor's room. And one guy came out and they said he should. They said I should be a doctor. Next person came out and said I should be an engineer. I walked in. My counselor literally kicked himself back on the chair, sat back, and laughed. He said, "Dwight, you're a salesman." <laughs> now I can tell you, I didn't take that as a positive thing. Hmm. You're a salesman. Because salesman is like, if you can't do anything else, you could sell matchbooks on the corner or something. Yep. Or you're, um, everybody, when you think of salespeople, they think that you're a car salesman, you're a huckster, right? I didn't realize that everything in the world revolves around salespeople. Everything. There's nothing that happens, nothing that you have that somebody didn't get involved in the sales part of the business. And every little business I did was really selling to people. And selling to people was really being able to make a human connection, a great human connection, and a um, trustable human connection so they want to actually see you again. And um, so uh, after being frustrated that he said salesman, I finally went out and realized that's what I'm going to do, but I'm going to be really good at it. And um, it was uh, I was sitting in a Sunday school class of a guy named Archie McDonald. Archie McDonald, he, um, he had a lumber business. Now, the thing I liked about Archie McDonald is he had really cool clothes, really cool shoes, and a really cool car. And I thought, he's really cool. And I, I thought, what do you do? He goes, I sell lumber. I said, oh, that kind of sounded kind of boring because that sounds like you work at Menards or somewhere, which yeah, is yeah. nothing wrong with that. But I mean, it I didn't see myself as the guy with the nail belt on. Um, he was a wholesale lumber guy that was selling lumber around the country. And one day he said, I want you to come to my office. I want to talk to you about coming to work for me. And I, I said, well, what do you do? He goes, I sell lumber. So I said, um, well, if he has cool shoes and cool car, I'm going to come to work for you. 
And I went to work for him. And I remember I came, before I came to work for him, I bought a brand new pair of Bass Weijin shoes because they were cool. I got my cool shoes. I didn't realize he's going to put me out on the lumber yard with mud and everything else. I've totally wrecked those shoes. Um, but I remember there was a guy that had that position with Archie as his salesperson prior to me, but he quit. Archie was um, a great man, super, super intense. Um, he would sit as far away as you are from me when I started selling. And every time I would be on the phone trying to sell, not knowing what I was doing, he would be correcting me while I'm on the phone. Hmm. Um, I remember thinking to myself one time, I'm not going to quit. I know the other guy quit. I'm never going to quit. I came this close one time to quitting, um, but I didn't quit. And I knew that he had, um, he did know how to sell. And I did learn a lot from watching him sell and making relational connections with people. And um, so I just kind of connected into the lumber business, began to work for him back in, um, gosh, when was that? Um, back in 1981. And in 1981, I began to work for him. And uh, within a number of years, he ended up getting divorced. And that made him have to kind of settle out some financial stuff. And he moved, and I ended up buying half of the company, kept him on as a partner, even though he was not working. And... Um, and I took that business that was probably an $800,000 business. Today, we'll do about $130 million worth of business. And um, I bought him out. Um, and I remember the, we had a buy-sell agreement. And I can tell you that was, was interesting because we have a buy-sell agreement. And how you can test your character is that um, at the end, he wanted more money than our agreement had. I legally had a document that said, you, this is the number. And he wanted more $50,000 more. To me, that was a ton of money. And the best advice I ever had was from who now my broker, Mark Orgel. He, I called him up. He said, just pay him. Just pay him. And what I discovered in that moment is that there's things that you battle for that you could wreck relationships. It's not worth it. It's Sometimes it's better to pay, just pay the price and take the higher ground. And in the end, uh, he gets Lou Gehrig's disease, and I was able to be his friend till the very end. I had uh, business people that came to me and said, why are you keeping him on the, the business? He's not doing anything. Why don't you just cut him? And um, I think that the adage was just do the right thing. I kept him on, and what was, I was his friend. I was able to go to his funeral, and we never had this oddity that um, – you know that that could have been there. So I ended up uh, buying the company. I when I right before I bought, before he I bought the company. I actually um, began to build our own divisions. So I built a facility in Sparta, Wisconsin, thirty three thousand square feet. Didn't know how I was going to pull that off. I got free land from the city of Sparta and built on there. It's not really free, you know. They give you a tax break, Oops. but it it's you don't have to put money out of your pocket, yep. so it's a good deal. Um, but I gave them more jobs than Sparta ever thought that I would bring, and I built the place, and every year I would build more. So it went from the 33,000-square-foot building to over a 100,000-square-foot building. Um, the, the business just kept growing. I, I think there's an adage that I believe in. If you, if you stay healthy, if you have a healthy culture and you have a healthy uh, business and you treat your customers well, healthy things always grow. Um, and we just kept growing. And um, the other thing that I did is I kept hiring people that I really believed and trusted in and that, that had a, a DNA that was similar to mine or was teachable in that. And that's critical, right, to have that kind of DNA. And this, our business just went on this trajectory that was just absolutely crazy, that um, every year we would increase in, in volume. And, 
And but we we had our setbacks. I mean, we went through the trade war. We went through uh, recently, but in 2008 it was the housing crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched business fall in half. Now, what I did do, this is another little business entrepreneurial secret, is keep your balance sheet clean, right? Too many people reach too fast. I mean, um, most companies don't die because they don't have strong business. It's cash flow, right? Cash flow kills them. And so I think my my innate fear um, kept me from doing stupid stuff. Um, in business, there's a fear that's a healthy fear. A healthy fear... Um, you have to be fearless, but the, the, the healthy fear is you don't do stupid, right? You don't step too far. Um, there's nobody as an entrepreneur that really makes it in life that isn't, because every great success is on this, is about two feet in front of danger, right? You have to step in front of danger. You have to have the ability to risk. And I think that everybody would be a business owner if they were willing to take the risk, but that's what keeps people out of business is, is fear of failure. So you have to... You have to close your eyes to that fear, but have a calculated uh, risk. Um, so the business grew. I started to buy other facilities. Um, I, I built Sparta. I grew it every year, went from 33,000 to 100,000 square feet. Um, and then a number of years later, I bought uh, a place in Pennsylvania, in um, in uh, Brookville, Pennsylvania. There was a company called DLH Nordisk, which is a Belgian company that said, we want to sell our U.S. assets. And they had a company in, in Brookville, Pennsylvania that was beautiful. And I had just tried to buy a company in Pennsylvania that was actually a dark company. It was closed. It was smaller. And I offered him whatever number, millions of dollars, and the guy didn't call me back. It was basically his asking number, and he didn't call me back. Hmm. My CEO now, Clint West, was on a treadmill in our one of our treadmill offices, and he said, um, why hasn't he called me back? I said, I think God has a gift for us because this is unusual. Yeah. I mean, you guys sell houses. If you basically are at the asking price, somebody at least will call you back, for right? Sure. No call back from that guy. And um, that particular day that he, I told him that on the treadmill, um, one of my guys, Adam Heyer, was reading an article about DLH Nordis selling their U.S. property in Brookville, Pennsylvania. It was much bigger. It was operational. They're the largest lumber producer in Europe, and they had a U.S. facility that has been going on for years in Brookville, Pennsylvania. And I said to Clint, I said, let's offer him the same price we offered the smaller dark company. He goes, He'll be offend- they'll be offended. I said, I don't care. All you can say is no, you can't. It, there should be no offense if you for could sure. say no. There's no gun to anybody's head. I said, take a shot. So we sent a letter off to, to Belgium to this new CEO of the company, and he didn't say no. I, within within the day, or maybe it was his next day or the same day, he writes back. He said, "How soon? How soon could you close?" <laughs> now, okay, I've never bought another company before, and so I said, "30 days." This is an international deal. I didn't even know what I was saying, right? Yeah. But sometimes um, you have to just kind of take a shot, and I took a shot. I hired. Um, we had a lawyer here. Uh, in lacrosse, and we had to, had to get an international lawyer out in New York, and we had their international lawyers. And um, we got our quick PhD in buying companies. Hmm. Um, we went out and surveyed the, the place, and we we bought it. And um, for the first year, um, and I bought it really right. I mean, the facility was worth more than what I paid for it. But for the first year, every month I'd call. I said, how did we do? 
were losing money, hmm. right? Losing money. And after about several months, Adam Heyer, one of my guys, was out there living in Pennsylvania at the time. I said, Adam, just please lie to me. Just <laughs> one month, just tell me at least we broke even. Um, but we kept making the, the changes and adaptations we needed that we turned that company into a thriving, growing, beautiful company. And um, that, was, that was really a big deal. So we did that business. And then we, after we learned how to build and grow a new purchase, we purchased another company down in Brookville, Pen- uh, sorry, in, um, in Kentucky, in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And that company we bought and, and built that up very quickly. And about a year later, I sold my company, my, my building in Sparta, Wisconsin, and um, and took that money and bought a company, the original Duncan Yo-Yo Factory. They made all the yo-yos in the world were made in really? Luck, Wisconsin. Hmm. It was a lumber company because they were made out of hard maple. I bought the original Duncan Yo-Yo Factory, which was called St. Croix Valley Hardwoods in Luck, Wisconsin. And I, I bought that. Um, and then about a year later, the guy that sold me that business, he dies. And they have he built a $5 million uh, production facility that made glued up panels, molding, casing, trim, flooring, within a nine iron, maybe a seven iron from where our building was. And the same broker called me and said, are you interested in buying this company um, down the road? I said, no, nope. He said, would you, he goes, we built the building for 5 million and we're thinking 6.2, we'll sell you the whole business. I said, no, not interested. He said, would you want to give me an offer? I said, I'll give you two. Now, you say two because you, here's the here's the here's the, here's the takeaway. When you the best time to buy something is when you don't need to buy it, yeah. right? Because you just sure. if you don't want if you don't want to take my number, yeah. that's okay. We'll still be friends. So they said, "Oh, that's not uh, that is sorry." They hung up the phone, and, and about a month later, they called me back. They said, "You know, listen, we've met with the family, and we think we could do it for five five, and then no two. Uh, they came back a wow. month later, said um, four, nine, nope, two. Um, and about three months later, uh, which I didn't believe would happen, they called and said, you know, we've been meeting with the family. The market's really tough right now, and they'd be willing to go two, four. Now, wow. okay, okay, okay. So uh, Clint West, who is my CEO now, he said, do it, do it. I said, no, nah, no, two, two. I do no it for two, two, way. two, two. They hang up. Now that's even my gut was saying, man, because I'm playing cards. Is that I, that might, I might have played one too many cards on that one? But they called back in a half hour. and said, okay, how, how soon could you close? <laughs> um, and we did that deal, and it was such a great deal that my accountant CLA called me and said, okay, we're doing the numbers on this. Is that correct? Because the building, we know what the building's worth. Oh yeah, that's correct. Um, so so to me, the fastest way to growth is through. Um, acquiring other companies, right? You, you can literally double. Um, and we found that in manufacturing, margins were higher than it was in selling lumber. So we did that. And uh, so the, the company kept growing at this kind of monstrous pace. That's where Inc. Magazine came in and said, you're the fastest growing privately. You make our list for the, I think this is actually be year eight, but we've done it seven times or eight times. Um, and so that's that's the the lumber business side, and um, so it's been a kind of a great ride, and it's turned out to be a, a, a fabulous business that um, that I love who I work around, I love the people that are there, um, and um, with growth comes uh, complications, sure. but 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 to me that's that's what you have to fight against. Complexity is the enemy of order, right? Mm-hmm. And so you have to keep bringing order. 
Um, how do you tr transfer your culture to these new properties? And so we had to, we had to find ways to what we called cross pollinate, take mm -hmm. your people that already have the virus of good business and send them out there and let them live amongst them. And it's kind of, it's, um, good culture is contagious. Yep. It's not a plaque on the wall. It's written on tablets of people's hearts. And that's, that's had, has been, has proven to be really good when we've said legitimately, um, healthy, kind, caring leadership people out to a new environment. At first, everyone is skeptical. Most companies know bad leadership, right? Mm -hmm. And so they just assume the new person coming in will be a repeat of bad leadership. Um, my greatest thing now is if I go to my campuses, I will get hugs from people. Um, so, because we'll do crazy things. We, we have a, a great bonus program that we, besides their pay, that they can get bonuses, and they achieve bonuses almost every month besides their pay. At the end of last, was it last year or two years ago, we had a big year. And I said, let's, let's take a quarter of a million dollars and don't just put it in their check. Go write a check, because usually direct deposit. Yeah. You, you go hand everybody a check. Hmm. This is not like Christmas bonus. This is just because you guys helped kill it this year. And we're going to have alignment where if we win, you win with us. Um, and it's not expected. And to see people get that was magical um, because they realize um, that, that the leadership can talk a good game, but they prove it because you're willing to share your goods with us. And guys are crying saying, you know, I was able to buy my kids stuff I never could buy. I paid off my motorcycle. I did all this kind of stuff. And uh, that to me is 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 wonderful. I think there's too many owners that walk through their place and people roll their eyes, yeah. right? And um, that would be horrendously horrible to me uh, to to have that. But I think that if we can if we continue to grow a culture, we'll continue to grow our business. Um, one of the things that I did, I went to the uh, one of the company outings up in Luck, Wisconsin, and. It was, I was there and I went and sat with the brand new workers at their table for lunch. And afterwards, somebody said, this is the first time when our previous owner, he would always sit up front with everybody else and you came and talked to us. And I'm thinking, you know, it's as simple as that, right? It's super simple. Um, people want to be significant. They want to be important. They want to be loved. They don't, just don't want to be a time card. They want to be important. I want, I want them to thrive in their life. I don't want to ask them about their challenges. I want to pray with the lady whose um, husband is going through cancer. Um, and um, one guy was at one of his machines. He said, they call me Big Daddy. I said, if they call you Big Daddy, I'm going to call you Big Daddy, right? <laughs> I can call you Big Daddy. So what they realized is, we're real people. For sure. I'm a real person. And um, so that's helped uh, uh, our company um, grow. And so it's, it's, been, it's been loads of fun. And um, we just see a trajectory that is that now the question is, uh, we just don't ever want to wreck it, right? Mm -hmm. keep, keep the magic happening. That's awesome. Um, can you talk a little bit, Dave, on like when you started – and in the lumber business, you said an $800,000 business. So I imagine you were the leader and you were the salesperson, or maybe yep. you had one other person. But um, to go from that to now the amount of employees and leaders that you have within your organization, how do you, how do you transfer that culture, transfer that leadership? Um, and maybe that's like 
How did that start out? And then how do you transfer that to different locations as well? What's really hard in particular, if you kind of did your own thing, because for a while I was the guy, I was a salesman, I was the marketer, I was going to make it happen. And I worked for a company. And so the the hardest thing is to to be able to entrust other people and give them authority. Why? because you believe you're the only one with the magic, mm-hmm. right? And somebody else will do what? Screw it up. Yep. And so I think that the biggest thing that I had to get over is this selfish idea that it's about me. And I realized that God has created these amazing people, some who have talents and gifts that I don't have, that I need to bring them alongside me, and I need to empower them, not micromanage them. Too many leaders micromanage, right? Um, too many leaders are constantly correcting, looking over the shoulder of somebody. And I don't think you can ever get excellent leadership if you're looking over their shoulder all the time. Hmm. You have to even let them fail positively. Um, One of the best things, Archie McDonald, when I first started, he went off to Israel for a family vacation. He said, I'm going to put you in charge. He said, nobody's going to be here. He um, He goes, you'll probably make a mistake, but don't worry about it. And that was really kind of him, Yeah. Right. I want you just to, because I, I trust you. You'll do right. You won't blow the place up. Just work your way through it. And I think that to me, that is probably the um, best first jump is to get people where you say, I'm going to entrust them and empower them to be and, and let more people make more choices, especially as I've gotten older in the business. What you realize, if you want to contain all this for yourself, if you want to do everything on your own, the job owns you, mm-hmm. right? And what you'll discover is time has a greater value. Your time and your freedom. If, if when I would go on vacation, when I was doing everything, I was never on vacation. Mm-hmm. I was always on my phone. I was always wondering what was going on. I was always wondering if the truck were showing up that I was supposed to set up and somebody else is probably screwing up. And what I realized is I was kind of enslaved by that. So I, I remember praying. I said, God, you need to bring me really cool people. Mm-hmm. and um, lead them to me and help me to be a blessing in their world. And I think if we find really a people that you bring into my area and I'm faithful in blessing them and being authentic with them, um, I think what we'll have is we'll have a really good company and I'll actually have a life beyond work, right? Life beyond work. And um, he's been super faithful. And I find we've, you know, Everybody else has problems getting people right now. We don't have problems getting people. I mean, we've been, we have been just totally blessed during a, a crisis where right now, even general labor, can imagine Luck, Wisconsin, little yeah. St. Croix up there. That's got to be tough. Well, we meet a guy in, in, in uh, we meet a guy down south that says, I can get you um, Hispanic workers that are good workers. They're legal, but they're just mistreated down south. They're second-class citizens. I said, well, if they come and work for us, we'll bless them. So we get 30 of them come up 30 and we rent a hotel we re- or a motel we rent all of it put them all in a ho- motel and then we find there's a christian conference center right down the road like within walking distance from our place that they have a love for the hispanic people christian conference center and w- and we have housing and food places there and we'd love to have them so we have people there we got some houses um, not only do we get people for us we get another 30 for other companies who are up in that area some of whom were our clients now let me tell you this when you solve your clients problems mm-hmm. you get a front row seat right mm-hmm. so please buy your lumber from me because I just solved your biggest problem yep. and nobody else was talking to you about it um, so we've we've just we've just seen that um, that God has kind of blessed us and give us given us uh, favor and ins- insight 
because these things didn't happen by chance, right? We didn't just luck out. I just think that that in my world, um, like I said, for, for as my young days, I was selfish. And one of your questions before on your sheet that you gave me, you said, what is success? I thought it was money. I thought it was, you know, the score and impress people and buy something big and have a country club and do all that kind of stuff. And I realized that's, that's, that's not success. I used to think that you had to impress your neighbors. Mm -hmm. And I realized my neighbors are not laying awake at night thinking about me. So I'm killing myself to impress people that don't care. My father said, keeping up with the Joneses is spending money you don't have to buy things you don't need to impress people you don't like. And I was I was doing all that. I had to come to a realization. It's not um, my success will be more about how I impact the lives of others than it will be about what I sell, how I impact the lives of others, and at least the quality of your success. Because yeah. you got people with plenty of money, but nobody cares. Yep. You know, they'll donate a hospital wing, and everybody rolls their eyes. They don't care. Yep. Um, but if you made a difference in somebody's life, if you reached into people's worlds, that that to me is was deeply fulfilling. And I really, I had this idea that if I really said, God, I'm gonna, I want you to bless people through my life, I thought if I really chased God in that way that somehow my business has to fail. I really thought that in order to really be a faithful Christian, you have to quit your business and join a church or a nonprofit or a mission organization because then you're really full-time Christian service. And God just finally convinced me. He goes, no, if you're going to be a follower of me, you are in full-time Christian service. It just happened to be I have a front called Lumber. Just do it. Live your life out. And so that that kind of revolutionized my thinking. So every day I wake up, I don't um, compartmentalize and say, well, um, let's see, i got to put on my Christian hat right now. Mm-hmm. I'm a Jesus follower that happens to own a lumber company, right? Yeah. And I'm not going to hide it, and I'm not going to disguise it. But And also, I'm not going to be so overt that I drive people crazy by jamming it down their throat. The Bible says your life should win the respect of outsiders. Respect. So even a non-believer should say, if he's a Christian, I sure want some of that, right? Because yeah. he's kind, he takes care of his people, he's honest, he doesn't, you know, he, he, he's not on the golf course lighting it up with F-bombs because he can't get it. In the, he's, he's, he's a good guy. Then you are truly a success because people like you yep. and people will follow who they like. Love it. What, uh, what attributes would you look like Look for in hiring those leaders that you have within your organization. Yeah. Um, what what are you looking for in different candidates? I think that I think that you know somebody said, "What do I really value?" Um, here's what leader. Here's what I think leaders value: loyalty. I don't know. I want loyalty, but loyalty comes with character. If you don't have character, you may not have loyalty. Uh, if you don't have character, you'll slit the guy's throat if he needs if he needs what he has. Right. So I want character because character brings loyalty. And I want some level of competence. I really do not care. It's really kind of funny because I get to speak at the university like I've seen you there. I'm thinking, you know, I'm not going to attribute that the university has really light, set me up. In fact, it's, it's interesting. I read an interesting study that, do you know who really are the entrepreneurs statistically in the world? The C students. Yeah. The C yeah. students. Because yep. they don't like to work in the box, yep. they don't follow rules. They, they, if something doesn't is going to kind of be a waste of time to them, they don't do it. When everybody else is kind of running by the clock and the bell's going to ring, they want to get the the, the 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 lesson done. They want to make sure they get they're they're more interested in grades. Where the entrepreneur is looking outside the window, dreaming his dreams, yep. right? He's thinking, what am I going to do? Um, he's the one that that doesn't see limitations. He's the one that doesn't want to be told what to do. 
Um, he can follow rules, but he does. He, but he wants to kind of chart his own course. And I thought that was kind of interesting because, I mean, school was not hard for me, but I didn't. I remember people just killing themselves, you know, studying all night to get A's. Yeah. And somebody said the A students work for the government. That's what they statistically <laughs> they work for the government, and the B students work for the C students. Mm-hmm. And you know, so so if you look at the uh, so. Now, there may be some testing on that, but I, I, I think it's kind of funny when I go back to the university and say, uh, pe- pe- I had a guy just the other day, he said, I'm going back to school. I said, for what? Well, I'm going to get a degree in something. I said, don't, don't, it, he, he wasn't paying his bills. Yeah. You know what I said? Don't do it. Yeah. Don't do it. Go get a job. Pay your bills. Get out of debt. Um, be a good person. Be a hard worker because there are great companies that are looking for hard, hardworking, good-hearted, passionate people. Um, so I look for I look for I look for character. I look for competence. I look for um, loyalty. Um, I look for passion. Passion is a uh, passion is something more than just saying I'm showing up. And I'm just simply want to make the donuts. Um, passionate people that come alongside good leaders, um, they can light it up. They are the, the because they're 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 not only just teachable. They're they're easily they're more easily inspired. Inspired people are people that will. Uh, they will chase the hill. They will do dangerous things. They will stick with you when it's hard. Um, and, and so I think that those are the kind of you know, competency. And then I want to make sure that they fit in our cul- a culture. Um, a, the culture is you get along well with others. You play well with others. If you don't play well with others, I'm not interested. Minnesota Vikings had Randy Moss. He was the greatest player in his own mind, and everybody else was a loser, and I'm working with a bunch of other losers, but you should throw it to me because I'm your guy. And I just say that to me, nobody wants to play around that guy. So I want people that play well around other people. And what I've been super thrilled about is our people care for one another. They go golfing with another outside of work. And they care when people go through challenges. And um, and that's that's an important part about about our culture. But it happens when you hire the right people. Because... I, I, in, in our life, there have been a couple of people that we've hired kind of off the Indeed, let's grab somebody. And I've seen great resumes be total shipwrecks. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I have another adage, is better the devil you know, the devil you don't know. So the more I can find somebody that either you said, Dave, this guy's good and I trust you, or I know him or I met him, that's that has been some of our best players. Um, but those those people, when they're picked like that, they last, they stay, and they thrive. Yeah, and you talk a lot about culture, and then you use those words to describe leadership. Is that the same kind of advice you'd give to somebody, maybe somebody who's tuning in who's, I'm not going to start my own business, I'm not an entrepreneur, but I do want to be a successful employee. I want to, like, what advice would you give to the person who's starting out or maybe just joined a company and wants to move up the ladder, like yeah. the corporate ladder? Moving up is simple. Show up and in, 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 in deposit your of uh, your best talents into that day 100%. If you show up in attitude, attitude. If you show up with a smile on your face, with excitement and let's go, um will they'll even let you make some mistakes. They don't care. If but cuz you can admit them. Admit them. But but if you're willing to come alongside and say I want to grow and you and what you it, not only do you say you want to grow with the company, you actually show up and participate and um, ask good questions and get along with people. Um, I've never seen anybody that has not come with a, 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 a that the right kind of attitude that doesn't move up in time. 
The people that don't move up are the people that go, how many hours do I have to work? Um, how many days off do I have? What's the minimal amount of work I can do and still get paid, right? Yep. You know what I'd say? Go work with my competitor, right? Yeah. I, 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 I love you, but I'm just not going to help you. Um, I have people that say, Dave, would you hire me? I said, not right now. Not right now. Why? Because I said, you, 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 have, you have to teach yourself some, some discipline things in life. Discipline. There's some people, especially today, it seems like there's more of a generation that is undisciplined. They don't want to get up early. They don't want to stay late. They, 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 they don't want to, they really don't want to work. Um, every, anybody that's built a business or succeeded in moving up the ladder is not afraid to work. The hard workers will always be the last to go away in a downturn, right? Because yep. they're too valuable. Don't get rid of him. He's too good. Um, to, to me, you just have to be consistent over time. And if you have any kind of quality of leadership, they will spot talent. But be patient. I've had people that well, they want to move up the ladder in 30 days. And I'm thinking, um, you, what you are will not be determined in 30 days. Mm -hmm. It will be exposed somewhat in 30 days, but it'll be determined because sometimes I got to see if you have perseverance. Yep. Anybody can fake it for 30 days. Mm -hmm. It's the person that say he shows up like this every day. He's the guy before he leaves. There is there anything else I need that I could do to help, to help out here? Who is who is this guy? Right? Yeah. You mm -hmm. will get noticed if you always are, are genuinely want to serve other people and help them get what they need. You will you will definitely move up for sure. Yeah, because I think I would at least say I see that today in today's culture, somebody who joins a job or starts a new career. A lot of times when they're being interviewed, they're also kind of interviewing the employer, and it's okay. Well, what what do you give to me? Right, right. As opposed to you asking me and me saying, "What can I do?" Yeah, everything is always okay. Well, if I do this job for you, what are you going to give me? Right, which is the wrong question, and I think super revealing about the heart of the worker. Of you're, right. you're coming to just take, take, take. Everything's about you. You're going to be that guy that clocks in. Okay, I clocked in at nine. It's literally five o'clock. I'm out. So you might you might say, I mean, I would have no problem if you said I'm looking for a job. I want to find a or a culture. You should probably ask some questions. You should probably check around. You should probably read the reviews. You should probably see if you know anybody that works for them and say, tell me what it's like on the inside. Mm -hmm. um, because there are, hey, there are there are lousy places to work. I'm convinced of it. I, I'm I'm always intrigued when I go to places where I see great leaders. Uh, I was in a, a, um, a gal, Pam is the Chick-fil-A owner here in La Crosse. She was a women's basketball coach. Um, it, in order to get a Chick-fil-A, do you know only cost, you know how much it costs? If I'm going to own a Chick-fil-A, how much does it cost to become an owner of Chick-fil-A? $10,000. $10,000 and you own the Chick-fil-A. Now, the Chick-fil-A owns the building. And so what does that tell me? Chick-fil-A looked for rock star, superstar quarterbacks, right? Mm -hmm. And so they're going to go through this massive list of people. In fact, they say you have a better chance of winning Dancing with the Stars than you do of getting a Chick-fil-A franchise. Because wow. like hundreds of thousands of people yeah. go in, a small section get a look, and, and only a little tiny couple of people get to actually get looked at, picked, uh, get to be picked to be a, an owner. And um, I asked Pam, I said, Pam, how did you do it? She said, well, I worked my butt off. And I joined, I went and opened up other stores. I was a women's basketball coach. And she said, I got all the way through the process and they turned me down. Mm. And she said, I think they did it on purpose to see if I had grit. Mm. Grit. Grit is the ability when you get disappointed that you get back up and come at it again. 
and she had grit, and she owns that store. Um, So I've... I don't care what business it is. If I go into a good business that I admire how they lead, I think that um, that is inspiring to me. Um, Because when you come into a town, can you imagine coming into a town during this kind of economy where, you know, if you're a a restaurant in La Crosse, Wisconsin, to find workers at, you know, 14, 15 bucks an hour, she's got to get 120 of them in a time when they can't get three of them across the street at a a local fast food place. I said, that's impressive. Hugely impressive, and um, this is where this is where great leaders and great entrepreneurs they just keep pounding till they figure it out. They're going to figure it out because everybody else will quit during the hard times. The good news about the hard times is everybody else will quit. Your market will get thinner, mm-hmm. right? The um, in the in the real estate world, if the market turns, there are some people that will just hang it up, yep, and they yep. just won't do it. And to me, I always say that we can, we've made more money in downturns sometimes than we had upturns. Mm. Why? Because we get inventive, we get creative. We, we um, the who stole my cheese, right? If the cheese yep. changes, we're gonna, we're, if it goes somewhere else, we're gonna figure out where the new cheese is. Yep. But, and we, the other thing we say, even right now, the market is, is, is uh, tougher because of the economy and interest rates. Um, we said, we're gonna go eat somebody else's lunch um, in a very nice way. Yep. Yeah, because somebody else is going to be lazy and wait for the phone to ring, and we're going to ring their we're going to ring their customer in a very nice way, and we're going to take their customer, and we're going to serve the tar out of them, and we're going to create a really sticky relationship where that person never ever ever why would you ever want to go away from this? Mm-hmm. So that's what we would do, right? And you mentioned you mentioned the word talent. To you, a lot of the characteristics you're describing in terms of what makes a good leader, what makes a good employee, how much of that is. This person is incredibly gifted yeah. or talented versus work ethic. Do you think do you think the obviously the talented person with no work work ethic who it's not going yeah. it's not going to re- turn into re- good results, but where is the balance between you know what this person works super super hard might not be the most talented, can he learn and develop like the traits to be able to turn into a good leader or where's the balance in that? I think most companies will say, I mean, obviously when we say no talent, if everybody has a capacity, you wouldn't hire them if you didn't have some, if you're teachable, that's the question. Are you teachable? If you're teachable and you have the right heart and attitude, um, most businesses, I suspect if I said, awesome, I'm going to work for you today. Could you teach me the business? Yep. Absolutely. Would you fear at all if I came with that kind of attitude? Nope. You'll say, "Let's yep. let's sign her up. Let's right. let's go," um, because I know I've watched you. Is that I know that you totally believe it. Yep. And are we going to win? We're going to win. Yep. We are going to win. So to me, a, a good leader is is a coach that's always looking for talent, and it's not always the mo- the talented guys have an advantage for sure. There are certain things, but but there's most of the most of the fundamentals can be taught. Yep. Most of the fundamentals can be taught. What can't be taught is um, character, um, just grit, and those kind of things. Those those come through uh, life stuff, right? And some of some people are pessimistic by nature. Don't hire a pessimist, yep. right? Because it's contagious. Um, when markets get bad, I never I tell my people. When your customers get on the phone and want to talk about how bad the market is, I mean, remember, this is supposed to be a bad market. We had our best quarter ever, historically ever, this last quarter. Why in the world would you talk to your customer about it and not tell them, you know, we just had our best quarter ever, right? Because mm-hmm. what are they looking for? 
they're looking for, give me a reason to believe that there's the sun's going to come out again. Yeah. And yeah. if they keep telling everybody the sun's not going to come out again, if I had a dollar, you guys are young people in the business, that for how many times um, Red Oak, after Country Wood Furniture, Red Oak fell out of favor, they said, nobody's ever going to be buying that again. Never believe the demise of your industry. Never believe it, because mm-hmm. it's never true. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there setbacks? Yep, there are. But that just is part of the, the the thinning out process that's necessary for healthy, healthy ecosystems to thrive and grow. So you just got to say, okay, we're going to go. So we say right now, I suspect if you got if you got interest rates that continue to go up, it's gonna it's gonna it does cripple companies that are out there that we sell to and people that want to buy stuff, right? Yep. Um, it will. Um, and it will slow things down. But at a certain point, everything gets to an equilibrium. And at some point, at some point, there's a correction that takes place. And But you just have to be strong enough to get to the correction place, yep. right? So there are, there are seasons in every business where you just say, we're not going to kill it from here to here, but we're going to survive from here to here. Yep. We went through um, trade war um, where I have hundreds of uh, uh, containers either in China or on the water, and the trade war takes over. Hmm. Guess what happens? All those, what am I going to do? They're not going in. They're not taking them. you got millions of dollars that are going to just be stuck on the water. Hmm. Um, and as a leader, um, you never show panic. You just got to say, okay, this will be, God, this will be interesting. And you have to figure out how to navigate through it. Um, you you sometimes have to go into what I call wartime mentality, where you just have to begin to cut um, uh, unnecessary expenditures and you do different things. Because all I knew is I told my people um, when we went into the trade war, I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to drop all my rents of all my properties that we have our facilities yep. on. I'm going to drop them down to my cost. I'm going to take my wage and drop it down to a fraction. Um, my exec team came and said, we're willing to do the same thing with our wages. Wow. And I said, you are? And, yep. And I said, I'll pay you back, which I did, by the way, with interest. And we, we came, then we came to our people and said, okay, we just took a kajillion dollars and we took the first hit. And if we think that'll, sh- we hope that it gives us enough fuel to get to the other side of the storm. Just so you know, we did it first. What did that give us? Great credibility, right? Because mm-hmm. we're not going to touch you. We touched us first. We touched us first, and I think that you—that those are the kind of things that buy you um, um, credibility more so than telling people how great you are and how much you love them and putting signs on the wall that we love our people. Yep. Um, when you, when the when the when the leadership takes the hit first, it's um, the word gets out and it's 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 the real deal, and we made it. Through and what we found is, like I said before, that our competitors thin out. Um, we righted our ship faster than anybody else. And during a downturn, you know, some of the best money ever was made in this country was made during depressions, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Because why? The people that had liquidity, that had clean balance sheets, they cleaned up. They because everything everything goes on sale. Yep. So when the market when that when the trade war went over, everybody else kept saying, well, we'll just keep our prices up and we'll just keep doing it. We just started discounting stuff, sell it at cost, do what you need to do, don't fall in love with your lumber. 
just accumulate cash. And we got to the other side. And then when we got to the this far down the road, everybody else is just starting to think about making adjustments. We've already made our adjustments. We have our cash flow in. And now they're blowing out their inventories at cost well below what you mm. could ever produce it for. So I'm buying out entire inventories of people mm. at pennies on the dollar, right? And so... You know, which is kind of astounding during a horrible market that you're making more we met more net profit in a horrible market than you did in a regular market. But you again, you began to innovate. You began to be creative because there's there's new ways to do things. So in this market, you say, um, you know, you you scrounge around and say somebody somebody's gonna be selling a house today, right? Somebody's gonna yeah. be selling a house today. Some I, I'm gonna t- I'm gonna take and make that an Airbnb. I'm gonna I'm gonna do th- I'm gonna make things happen. And that's, I think that's the fun part about business is that you, you don't see challenges as problems. You see them as really interesting opportunities to stretch your brain and say, we're going to be clever. Clever is really important to me. Be clever. Do what everybody else is not doing and do it before they do it. Because then when they finally see you're doing it, you're already on to the next thing. It's just a big game. It's a big, uh, it is a fun game to play. Absolutely. Um, let's switch gears a little bit. Yeah. Tell us, magician, how did this come to be? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I will tell you that I had some a couple of buddies of mine that were really good friends, and we had a skit that we did for the um, youth group that we were in. And we went to a competition and went into national competition. It was kind of a comedy skit. And when we were there, there was a guy that was a magician. I thought, that's really cool because I can't sing. I can't dance, Keegan. Um, I can't. I didn't have any of those natural talents, but I thought, man, wouldn't that be cool? If I could, if I could come and learn magic tricks, and at the Riverly Building downtown Lacrosse, on the third or fourth floor, there was a place called Burt's Magic and Fun Shop just opened up. My mother said, "Don't waste your money on that junk." I said, "Mom, I'm not going to waste my money." Every Saturday, I'd go there and I'd spend, you know, hours staring at stuff and buying things. And I started buying enough magic tricks. So I said, "I'm going to start. Um, I'm going to do a free show for the hospital. I did a free one for the kids." in the hospital. And then I started charging five bucks, 10 bucks, 15 bucks. And pretty soon we were getting like a thousand dollars a show. And I'm a little kid, you know, and um, I buy my parents station wagon and start hauling birds and doves and magic tricks around. And we're doing uh, stuff in Iowa and, you know, university. I went to North, I uh, went to Princeton University, Colorado State University. I went to, oh uh, I, so that was so it kind of got, got to be a big, it got to be a big, got to be a big deal. And um, but here's what I here's what it did for me. Uh, magic gave me the ability to sit down with people, and here's what I tell my salespeople: one attribute, be memorable, right? So if you go to our trade show, which we have one coming up in Vegas, I can tell you I have million dollar customers that are my cust- our customers today because I did magic with them. And they became nine years old and a child, mm. and they saw the impossible. And I and I'm a real fun person. I'm not the <laughs> yep. stuffy guy that sells you lumber. <laughs> yeah. And um, in fact, I was in uh, Indiana- Indianapolis, and a uh, big company in California. A guy was there, and I showed up. A magic goes, oh. I'm hanging, my son and I are hanging with you the whole week because we love magic. <laughs> we are members of Magic Castle in Hollywood. And my grandfather was, and I grew up with it. It's so much, it was always so much fun. And you just brought that back in me today. And, and um, in fact, I want you to come and visit us in California. So um, we went out to, to Burbank where they were at and Clint and I just a few months ago. And from that meeting, we now have millions of dollars of business that we do with them. And I will tell you that for sure the connection on the magic 
made a memorable, human, fun connection that made me the person and made us the company that they want to do business with. Wow. Great. I mean, it makes sense, though. I want to, I want, I want to work with somebody that I like. Yep. yep. And sometimes it just goes beyond that. It's just personal connection. I like you. You're fun. Like, you bring me joy and you kind of fill me up. I want to work. I want to work with you. So, so what I would do things like if 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 you thought of a playing card, give me an idea of a playing card that you're thinking of. To say one out loud, what's seven of spades? Uh, it's interesting. You said seven of spades. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna make a phone call, right? Okay. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna have you. I'll give you a, give me an error code and not a local one. Just any make an error code. Three numbers. Five one four. Five one four. Give me three numbers. Two six five. Two six five. Number your card and four numbers, Keegan. One five seven three seven three. Okay, we're anybody know that number? I don't know that number. Let's call it. Let's see if we can get anybody here. Okay, let's just let's remember your card. Yep. Okay, let's just see. Thank you for calling Antonio's Pizza. Today we're running two medium pizzas and a two liter Coke for eighteen ninety nine. Hold please. Okay, if he won't play with us, we'll find somebody else. But we're this is. But this to is me, awesome. what was your card? Remember your card? Seven of spades. Okay. So. I'm sorry, it's for neither one. I'm actually in the middle of a podcast. I'm doing a magic trick in Wisconsin. If you would help me do this, it would totally be a... I'm sorry. I'm not going to order a pizza, but it'll just take a second. I won't waste your time. I just need you to think of a playing card. Is that something you'd be willing to do for me today, please? Is that... Um... Uh, just, wait, just name a card? Yeah, but you got to say it out loud. Something that pops in your head, I want you to say it out loud. Uh, seven of spades. That is so <laughs> cool. You have just made our day. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, appreciate it. Bye-bye. Are you serious? Is that yours? So to me, this is what's amazing. This is this is where like all of a sudden we just saw the impossible happen. Yeah. And so what happens today is I'll leave here and tonight you'll go to your wife. What happened? What just happened? I did a deal with one of my clients in Las Vegas. It was at Bobby Flay's Fish Market. And after I got done, I had him go to his phone. I said, I want you to Google anything on your phone. And before he left, I said, I'm going to tell you what, what it was. And I did. Really? And uh, he, he's getting in his Uber. He said these words, what did I just see? Right? <laughs> what did I just see? Now, that hung with him. So he brought all of his people back to our yep. event table the next day, which is really kind of funny. If you come to our trade show, everybody comes to our booth. The guys beside us, our lumber people, they go, they're kind of trying to wander towards our table because everybody's there. Yep. Um, so to me, it is because I can't sing or dance. This gives me the ability to um, create a memorable moment that is fun and 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 yeah. that's that I think is is priceless. It's more convenient at event tables than all of a sudden a guy comes up and says, "Hey, how are you doing? Oh, you mind if I show you this dance move?" I'm gonna say it's not bad. <laughs> yeah, it's not, yeah, it's not a yeah, super convenient yeah. trait well, to have. You know well, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and plus it's you know right. It, yeah, if I could only do that, if, if I could do the uh, the the break dance move and uh, have that. Kind well, if of I stuff. could, if I could, I can't do head spins, but man, yeah, if I could do head spins, I could pull that yeah. out wherever I want. So I just say everybody should have a little bit of magic in their in their business and. Um, to, to be distinctive. If you think about it, look, you go to trade shows sometimes. There is actually, it's almost humorous to me. If the best things you got is a starburst in your jar, yeah. like, what are you doing, right? Yeah. I went to a show here locally. Um, my wife got into a, it was a, a food show. And I'm thinking, most of people just don't even like being here. They're not having fun, right? They're trying to sell me something and nobody's trying. And mm. I'm thinking, here's the good news. If you're a business person out there, your, most of your competitors aren't trying. Nope. 
Most of your competitors are waiting for the phone to ring. Hmm. Most of your competitors are That's not so laying awake at night thinking, how are we going to chase the hill? Uh, most of your competitors are whining about the problems. They're not thinking about the opportunities. And um, that's... To me, that's great news. I tell, remind my people. I said, you know, whenever I see my custom, my my competitors doing lazy, I said we should be thankful, the good Lord, that these people are the competitors because it really mm-hmm. does make it easy. Mm-hmm. And um, in it's it's almost counterintuitive. It's like baffling. Like I went to I went to a car dealership in Lacrosse, a brand new one. I'm a buyer. I need to get a car, but I just don't know a car that I really want to buy. So I went into a car dealership, brand new one here locally. There are five salespeople that they have there. And I was there for 20 minutes telling them I got need to buy a car, sat in a car, asked about a car. What did he not do the whole time I was there? Sell you a car. Never asked my name. Hmm. Never got my contact, right? Never really tried. Didn't try. You know, to me, if I'm, uh, I told another car dealer friend of mine, I said, you should know this because these are your competitors. This guy's not trying. If I'm a buyer and I show up, and you don't just get to step one and know my name and, and try to make a relationship, try to be a little bit memorable and say, what are you looking for? I left there thinking, because I'm a business guy going into another business thing, if this was my business, this guy, I need to help him find a place that would be better suitable for him in yeah. a really nice way. Because yeah. he apparently doesn't get 101. 101 yeah. is we sell cars. We're not, even, we're not there to just answer a couple of questions um, we're there to say, obviously I showed up. Obviously I'm sitting in a car. I, yeah. I went out and told him. I said, I got to buy a car. I just don't know which one I want to buy. Yeah. Decently and, hot buyer. <laughs> <laughs> so so I just, I, like I say, I, I'm, I'm, I like to see really good entrepreneurs, I like to see good leaders, and sometimes I get super frustrated. And it's interesting because sometimes I think, I should probably go talk to them because everybody should want to enroll in my school, right? Yeah. What you realize is some people don't want to enroll in your school. Yeah. Some people want to keep running it the way they've been running it. And so I just keep my mouth shut and I'll, I will find a car. So probably when this podcast goes out, every car dealership will call me. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. And see what, see what I need. Um, maybe to end us off here, Dave, um, what, what's one thing that our listeners can start doing today? Um, to maybe they don't aspire to build a business like you have, but yeah. what's one thing that they could start doing simple, effective that they can do today? I would, here's, here's my thing I would tell my, anybody that really would come to me personally and ask is that I think the game changer in my life was to, to get the Jesus part of their life right. If that part's right, it is... Um, Everybody needs a North Star. If you're, if you're sailing through life, that gives you directional uh, things. Um, everybody needs a um, ballast to keep you from tipping over by your weaknesses of your flesh. And everybody needs a North Wind, which is that inspirational push that comes from the God who created you. And I think when I finally um, realized that Jesus didn't simply die 2,000 years ago to get me out of hell. He died 2,000 years ago to get heaven, get himself out of heaven inside of me. And when God gets inside of me, his character, his kindness, his joy, his peace, his patience, his love, literally is, can become manifest within our flesh. I become a better person, boss, leader, worker, when the, um, 
when the batteries are in the flashlight, the light goes on. When God is in our life and allowed access and allowed uh, unhindered, um, uh, unhindered access to our life, we are then going to live out what we were generally fully created to be. If we don't let that part happen, we're always going to be a little dis- dysfunctional. If the Jesus thing isn't right, let me explain that quickly. Um, if the Jesus thing isn't right, here's what will get me, or you. Um, lust, greed, selfishness, um, those are the parts of our fallen nature. The me first stuff, will they'll creep in. I don't care how disciplined you think you are, they'll creep in. And um, I'm not strong enough to do that simply by willpower because it is, a, it is an innate force of our fallen nature of independence that I want to be first. When Jesus has his right place in my life, I, I'm, I'm patient more than David Twite is patient. I'm kinder more than David Twite is kinder. I'm gentler more than David Twite is kinder and gentler. Um, I have access to wisdom that is, um, can see the whole game board. Um, and so I meet with lots of people, as you've asked. I've been mean, one of your questions you've written down. I go to these coffee shops and I meet with people. And I, I, I will always start with the spiritual side of people's life because I think that's usually the neglected side. And at first, when you say, I want you to know the Jesus part, they just think I want you to go to a piece of religious real yep. estate and go to church. Yeah. No, I'm not. That could be part of it, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a relational connection to the God who hung the stars. Um, I wished that I would have grasped that sooner because I could have saved myself a lot of challenges. Um, I'm a better husband because of when Jesus is right in me, I, I have a better relationship with my kids because Jesus has a has control of me. And so I would say that if somebody out there in the in the blogosphere said, I want to get this right, if you're in lacrosse, I go to coffee with anybody. I had several people, in fact, I had a guy last week, he said, three people told me I need to talk to you. I've never met him yeah. before. And he owns a big deal in lacrosse. And I said, oh, good. And um, don't, don't know why, but it ends up turning to a faith thing which I say with most of the men that I meet, um, they've never been to a place where they can safely talk about something where they don't feel weird or um, they, they, they would like to know, but they don't really know who to ask and they don't want to ever admit we're, we're struggling in that area. And I just think that to me is my biggest passion is to get people to know that um, a Christ relationship is more than a, a Sunday church experience. And it does translate into making you the person that God created you to be. And without the indwelling of this God that created you to control you, direct you, guide you, you lose your GPS system. And um, so for me, um, it may so- that may sound a little bit kind of a little bit weird or kook- kooky to people out there, but uh, I'm going to just be real pragmatic. It's the game changer. It's the secret sauce. I went to China. I was invited to go speak at the Remnant University, the most communist university of all of China. If you're a leader in China, you go to Remnant University. Uh-huh. And they said, you can't talk about the, the child policy. You can't talk about Tiananmen Square. And don't talk about faith. And don't talk about all that stuff. Now, I can't really share my, my business stuff without trying to get some faith things in there. So I had to be really careful. And I remember I used the word, um, I said, we all have a transcendent purpose. And whatever that translated into Chinese, and, yeah. and I talked about my people and how I cared for them, and I don't think I, th- I don't think I crossed the line in any way. But afterwards, um, the first class that I had um, um, was a classroom of PhD Marxist professors, and about thirty of them, 
two of the female professors came up to me afterwards, marched up and got right to me. They said, you have something we don't have. You have a spark and you have a light. We need to know what it is. I said, if you come to lunch with me today, I will. (laughs) That's right. So they invite me to their student lounge. Uh, Sorry, the the, the professor's lounge, a big glass table with all the Chinese food that they spin around, the table of uh, death, I called it. And um, so we ate there. This lady leans over, and I shared Jesus with her. And she started crying. She's a professor. She said, you're an angel. God has brought you here. Hmm. She was going through marital problems. They literally work themselves to death there. And what happens is if you work yourself to death and you don't find that you were made for a transcendent purpose, um, life is crushing. Life is crushing. And my 15-year-old or 14-year-old son, Zach, was there with me, and he got to watch how God brings dad halfway around the world to sit with a group of Marxist professors so that two of these people can hear the story of Jesus in a believable, translatable way. Um, So... Get the Jesus part right, and and if you get that right, it's it's going to be a game changer in how you live, who you are, how you lead. And if anybody says that's a mystery to me, I meet with guys to try to unpack the mystery because I wish somebody would have just sat me down and said, "Okay, let me make this really easy. Let me just tell you what I know in, in my words, the way I understood it, and that that will help un, uncomplex this a little bit." Yeah. And um, so that's my that's my big deal. So I I take probably the greatest joy. I don't drink coffee, by the way. I'm at no. Caribou every day. Yeah. Caribou, aka the Church of Church of Dave yeah. Twite. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't. I'm a social drinker because that way they like me there, and I buy a lot of coffee. But if you ever watch me leave, if you listen real carefully, it goes thunk into the thing. Really? Oh yeah, I buy it. I buy it. Oh yeah, I buy it because I don't want to be the loser that doesn't pay. Wow. Uh, so I go. I'm a social drinker there, and um, but I find that it's really coffee shops are the town square. Nobody's intimidated to come to a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. You sell real estate, come to a coffee shop, mm-hmm. right? If you say, come to my church, we'll get you into a back room and we're going to talk to you about Jesus. That'll yeah. drive you crazy. For sure. Right. Please don't do that to me. And I think that when they come, they realize I have no agenda, but they're good. I'm, I'm not there to get brownie points from Jesus. I'm there to, to simply try to tell men who are willing to listen something that I wish somebody would have made clear to me sooner because I could have saved some time. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. I think there's so many, so many people, especially people that have reached the level of success that you have, um, that are not willing to meet with anyone, and that somebody says, "Hey, can I pick your brain?" And some people even find that offensive to take the time out of the day to go and sit with somebody. So, um, to say I will have coffee with anyone is awesome. Yep. So awesome. So because I could change somebody's world. Absolutely. Right. To me, yeah. What's better than that? If I sell lumber today, who cares, right? Yep. That's good. Nothing wrong with that. I'm a capitalist. Yeah. But if we can impact the lives of others, if you say um, success, make a profit. Significance, touch a world. I want to be significant. Hmm. Right. And that's what I, I say. I say that all the time of usually in a church setting when somebody's giving a message and somebody's preaching, it's the same thing like in business, right? If, if I just do something without Jesus... I can motivate. Mm-hmm. I can. They, they're they're going to leave motivated. If you're a really good public speaker, if you have certain talents and certain gifts, I can be in somebody's life, impact their life, and they can leave motivated or encouraged. Yep. But when the Holy Spirit through me breathes on something, yep. even in a meeting, even in a coffee shop, they leave transformed yep. with their life changed. That's a whole difference. Well, me, me doing business or selling anything without Jesus, you might have been like, he was a nice guy. But if I do it, centered with Jesus and when the Holy Spirit breathes on it, 
It's transformation. Well, you hit the whole thing. The, um, religion is reformation. God's mad. Buck up. Change yourself. Here are the rules. That's religion. Religion. Jesus, Jesus was kind of anti-religion. If you remember, he got most ticked off at the Pharisees and yep, people that yep. put rules on people. You brood of vipers. Brood of vipers. Because that's reformation. Change yourself. The Bible says be transformed. That's your word. Transformation by the renewing of your mind. Transformation is the Greek word metamorphosis. A caterpillar does not become a butterfly because it grits its teeth, clinches its fists, I'm going to try harder. A miracle happens by God inside a little cocoon, and a brand new life comes forth. That's the, tr- that's the transformational power of Christ versus religious um, activity, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's, that is the game changer, is, is the... Um, the indwelling presence of, of the of the transformational agent of Christ is is critical, and um, that's that is the game. That is the crazy little game changer. And I wish, you know, there are so many guys right now that probably are out there that they 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 got all their lists, they read all their success books, and here's what they're discovering. If you don't have the Jesus part right, there's something missing. Mm. Always, there's some gap. Like something's not right. Pascal said, "There's a God-shaped hole. There's something in their life that is not right." And what they, what they, and then they, they don't, they don't know how to fill that hole. And they, they don't realize there's a God who's desperately just seeking a connection, a relationship with them, and that He knows the worst about you. He's okay. Come, just come to me. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, overburdened, overstressed. And I want to give you, here's what the word is, rest for your souls. Most men are killing them because they're looking for rest, this, this, this peaceful existence through life that's, that I feel comfortable in life. And I'm not chasing something that, I, that is so elusive I'll never find it. Peace. And Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And, and it's a lot more fun to now go through life and, and do the capitalism stuff, do all that kind of stuff when you have peace in your life and realize that I'm here for a significant purpose. And at the end of the day, God's not gonna say, how much did you sell, right? Yep. Um, my kids aren't gonna say, geez, my dad, he's, he was so cool, he's told, sold a lot of stuff. Um, the people around you need to say, he made a difference in my world, and he made me see something I never saw in my life is more beautiful because of it. That's awesome. Thank you for being here, Dave. My this pleasure. was incredible. Um, I know just myself, I've got so much out of this. So thank you yeah. so much thank for being you. here. We'll have to have you back on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Two. Stay otherwise, tuned. Otherwise, we'll bring the setup to Caribou. Yeah, if, yeah, no, if, if you're too nervous to reach out to Dave, go to Caribou. Go Once to, a day, you'll run into him at chances, one point. Chances yeah. are. And I think they call me patron saint of Caribou. So, yeah, there but but I, I would love to. Thanks, you guys. I appreciate what you're doing. Awesome. Thank you, Dave. Thank appreciate you. it. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. We sincerely hope that you learned something today. And as always, we appreciate your support and hope that you can all find a way this week to pay it forward.